welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Jerry Springer. Thank you. Thank you. And hello to all of you in the upper deck. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Jerry. Yes. Uh, by the way, we've got, it, it's very cool. We have, uh, Joe Fletcher is going to perform a little bit later on, and he has a very good story and a rich history at the Newport Folk Festival, which Ooh. you and I know about yes, back from sure. the, the folk scare of yeah. the 60s. And, uh, and also, Jerry is going to talk about the Donald Trump dr drumbeat of late whining about the delegate selection process. We're looking forward to that. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's, he's got it on wine. He's whining, whining, and yep. uh, did I ever tell you what my wife's favorite wine is? Oh, my is? God. No. I want to go to Miami. Oh, my God. We're not even two minutes in. <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, Catfish, who owns the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, yeah. Kentucky, is here for <laughs> And he handed me this when I walked in, Why? and it says, an envelope says, to Jerry Springer, please read on the air. Can I have my lawyer look at it first? Well, you actually have your lawyer in the audience. I know. <laughs> but what, so I read I'm it on the air, and it says, I confess to... to oh, right, what? I, Jerry Springer, being Pop a sound of mind and body. And see what it says. I'll read it if you want, or do you want to read it? It's up to you. Well, you read it, because okay. then I can deny having said it. All right. <laughs> Dear Mr. Springer, I like the formality of that. <laughs> I'm a regular listener and an even more regular rider of the Ludlow City bus. Oh, oh come I, on. Give me a It's interesting. Break. I have found it to be clean, on time, <laughs> and a pleasant experience. Mr. Galvin's advertisements are the reason I ride. Please listen to this. Please compliment him and consider giving him a raise for his outstanding work. Yes. And it's signed by a listener. Yes. Does it say what drug he's on? Right. <laughs> or how much Gene paid him. <laughs> Bonnie Galvin. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, Got your wife to oh, write. Oh, this is so how low. you go. Using your wife to try to get a little more money for your retirement and <laughs> <Right>. dignity. <laughs> Retire dignified retirement. Megan, yes. can we ask you a question, Megan, about your online dating experiences? Because well, why not? Rich stories. <laughs> And I think Jerry and I, your, your two crazy uncles, we beseech you, first of all, uh -huh. do not use Tinder. Will you make a pledge to us you will not use Tinder? I vow to okay. never use Tinder. And, yes. and nice. Tinder's a thing where you just put a picture on? Correct. That's, yeah, that's the one you just flip through. Flip yeah. through. And the only thing you really see, I mean, you can get like a few the words. Yeah, yeah, you get like a little bit And then bit you of, decide just based on the picture. Absolutely. Yep. See, that's so shallow, it is, and, and you I, should and not do that. So correct, I appreciate correct. It. Christian Mingle's okay. J-Date, Christian uh, Mingle, Farmer's Only. What was it? J-Date? Yeah. Is that like Jude? Jewish 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 yeah. Yeah, what's wrong with it? How do you think I met Zelda Finkel? Well, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yes, but no Tinder. I, I, can, I can promise. Uh, it, Jerry, probably, if he wasn't married, would be doing that one, I'm so lonely.com. I'm so lonely. I think he'd probably be doing yeah. that. That's a good one. Yeah. I used to do J-Date, I mean, back in... God, in the 60s. I mean, really, I, yeah, I, I guess I was in college. I, we'd come home, you know, for the, for the summer, and Milton and I would go to... <laughs> Milton. Oh, of course his name was Milton. <laughs> yeah, and we would go to the Friday night dances. How'd that work and out And you get you? to meet all these Jewish girls, and, 
And yeah. every week, without exception, Milton and I would go home alone. I believe every <laughs> yeah, yeah. word of that. Which is really sad, because you know every Jewish mother is telling their daughter... Find somebody. Find a nice Jewish And I was boy. going to law school, right. so wouldn't you think that's, a, a, you know, and one Jewish mother doesn't want their kid to marry a doctor or a lawyer. And we've got Jerry right Still here. Nobody. He's right. He's such a nice boy. Nobody. <laughs> nobody yeah, except, me think of my except cousin, Zelda. Yeah, my cousin me. Mike, <clears throat> and I mentioned my cousin Mike was in <laughs> a monastery, Mike. Megan, I hate Mike. for 30 <laughs> years. And we talked about it on another episode. We won't, won't go back to that. But I was talking, he was at Monastery in Kentucky, and I was yeah. talking to Mike the other day. We had a beer, and I, he said, uh, he was telling me the good and the bad about Monastery life, having been there so long. And he said the food was amazing, as you might expect. They cook it on grounds, it's cared for. Oh, absolutely. And he said before he took the vow of silence, he went back into the kitchen, and the first year he didn't have the vow of silence, and he thought he'd sneak back and compliment the cook. And he went back into the kitchen. A guy was at a sink washing dishes. Oh, by the way, the Friday night meal. You had to have fish. Right. Fish and chips. An well, English kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Because you know this as a fellow Catholic. Right. We, we don't eat meat on Fridays Well, that, that was pre-Vatican too, so you weren't allowed right. to eat meat on any Friday. Now I have, just never have had, no. Yeah. Yeah. Are there many Catholics in England? I mean, I, well, Ireland, that's maybe. A fair question. But that was a weird twist. Is my this cousin was your saying. story? Go no, ahead with no, it. No, my cousin says a weird twist was it yeah. was sort of a Protestant English dinner. Yeah. Fish and chips on yes. Fridays. He goes back, taps the guy on the shoulder, and he says, are you by any chance the fish fryer? And he says, no, I'm the chipmunk. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you laugh at I that. Yes. <laughs> see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I got to meet you. Is, 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 your, is your cousin Mike still around? I mean, I, yeah, 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 yeah. He lives in the greater Cincinnati Oh, he's area, not. He's, is he a priest or a brother? Oh, no, no, no. No, he no. never. He didn't make it. Hey, uh, do you remember a couple weeks ago we were traveling? You were going around Ohio. And again, thank you for your service. You were giving speeches at small counties. True story, right? Yeah, that's true. Pike County, Ohio, and... Uh, Another one. Democratic Party dinners. Democratic Party dinners. And our driver told us about a term called snatching a wig. What? From your TV show. What? And snatching a wig well, uh, kind of means, uh, literally on your TV show, there's a worry that somebody will snatch a wig off some woman's shut head. Shut up. They come with wig. No, they wear wigs. No, right? you got it backwards. There's a worry that they won't do that. Oh, really? <laughs> on your show. And, and, so, and, and then what, you got a boring show. I've never no, heard they got to snatch a wig. Never heard it. Well, you know, they get, they get angry. And, right. And then they, they want to fight. But obviously, we don't want anyone hurt. So the security guys step in there. So what they often do is they grab each other's wigs. Oh, so wigs. it's like the same version of like, hold my yeah. earrings. Like, this is going down right now. Yeah. Hold, okay. Snatch a wig <laughs> is like, hold my earrings. Hold my earrings. Hold my earrings. <laughs> right, I didn't know about that. Have, you, you, ever, have no. you ever been in a, in a, quote, girl fight? Yeah. No. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Megan, you're talking to me. <laughs> I no, I have not. You're I have. Not like I have been. In high school I have something? been punched by a girl, but it was not oh. a girl fight because I did not fight back. <laughs> I back. fell like a sack of potatoes. You, are, are you given that answer because you have a day job with a big company in oh, the right. Greater Cincinnati no, area? No, no. You actually that have is not. True. This is legit. No, I have been punched. I was punched by a young lady named Star. Star, um, yeah, <laughs> jacked you one time, yeah. yeah, yeah. Star, star had it out for me. So, yeah. and she won. I backed down pretty quick. But, this yeah. is true, and this is not a joke. I'm 72 years old. I 
honestly have never in my life ever been in a fight. I believe Other that. than, in, well, in camp, you know, we, they had us in a boxing ring teaching us back. But never, how can you live in, and, grew, and I grew up in New York. You saw how tough the neighborhood was. Tough neighborhood. <laughs> I've been to your neighborhood. How, tough can, neighborhood. how can you be a boy oh, in America right. and never? I don't know. Have a, you can never run away from every fight that you've ever been in. I'm not trying to encourage one. I'm just saying. Well, I was going to say, would anybody here want yeah. to step up? Who wants to punch Jerry Springer? And punch Jerry so he knows what it feels like. It would be and an it was education. so stupid because with the show, you know, the kind of the reputation is, oh, you know, yeah, he likes all this fighting and stuff. I've never. Have you ever been punched by a guest on accident? Any, any like, collateral damage? No, if it looks like it's getting bad, I snatch a wig and leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the audience right away, but it looks bad. Really? Know, yeah, they get you out of there. Could I make a, a request to the group that uh, if we have trouble on this show, and we haven't so far, but I'd like to have a safe word. I'd like for me to have a safe <laughs> word. If I say that word, everybody agrees to kind of pull back. What would your safe word be, well, what, what, you, do you Would you like to have a it, safe word as well? Explain the safe word to me. If I'm, I have to explain the safe word to Jerry Springer, there is a problem with the society. Yeah. <laughs> is that like when you're doing kinky stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and then? Yeah, and then. And then? <laughs> and then when, but when it's too much and you want it to stop? Yeah. Get me out of this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mine's Poughkeepsie. Yeah. <laughs> That's your safe word? Poughkeepsie? Yeah. Poughkeepsie. Yeah. When so I we hear you yell out Poughkeepsie. I'm out, man. I'm out. Everybody back Really? <laughs> you came up with the name Poughkeepsie? Poughkeepsie. Yeah. That, that's interesting. What you would yours be? Poughkeepsie. Ba- Mine would be, please, dear God, help now, me. You get one, <laughs> <laughs> you get one word, well, Gene. I'm not done. You only get yeah. one. <laughs> I've made some bad decisions, and I'm associating with people who mean me harm. So if you hear me say that. Yeah. That means stuff, yeah. Jump back. Yeah. In my college days, well, it wasn't my word, but the girls I dated had a word, you know, police. (laughs) (laughs) So they used that word. Frequently. Yeah. I did not have a, I should be so lucky. (laughs) Mine was please. Please, What's your safe word, please? (laughs) (laughs) Again? That's awful. Oh my God. Stop it. This is a family show. Did, you, did yes. you have a good TV show today? Uh, it was unbelievable. I, really? Tears come to my eyes when I think about it. How did really? you change the world today, Jerry? Yeah. How did I change? Oh, before the show, we taped two shows today. But early in the morning, I had an interview at the hotel for um, the New York Times retro uh-huh. column. And she interviewed me. And But she was asking questions, among other things. But one of the questions was, you know, what effect has my show had on the culture. That's a long answer. <laughs> yeah, it's a long answer. But it was embarrassing because I threw up. <laughs> Shut up. No, I didn't. I didn't have an answer. Uh, you had no answer I'll tell all. you what. Yeah, there was. A, there's a serious answer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, it, it, journalists are always asking that question. Right. As if what happens on our show shouldn't be on television. But you would never say to a newspaper writer or to television news how could you run that story right. right? because it's negative. What if kids see it? You know, it's about violence. It's about war. It's about rape. It's about murder. You never ask that. But if it's on a talk show, right. you know, and then the news programs, they run all evening. They run a commercial tonight at 11. Right. And they show the film of our show saying, we'll hear about what Springer says about that. Yeah. And the, the, uh, 
you know, I, I every now and then I'll take a peek at your show about once a year. Oh, you love it. You watch then, it all no, the no, time. No, 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 <laughs> no. And then and my, my first wife, Bonnie, will always say, you know, get away from that. In fact, she'll... I've heard her say that. Please, dear God, help me. I've made bad decisions. <laughs> it wasn't Gene's original writing. That was actually who mean me harm. Yeah, and that's why. That for help, Bonnie. Is that what that was? <laughs> All right. Hey, Jerry. I wanted to ask you something. Uh, we were having a great conversation driving over here tonight, uh, and we both have noticed that Donald Trump is really kicked into this kind of weird gear of whining about the delegate selection process. And I thought you had a pretty interesting take on it. Why don't you share that with us? Well, first of all, we should tell people that as we're recording this, uh, tonight is the night of the New York primary, and everybody's guesses, I have no inside information, but that Trump will easily win New York, and Hillary Clinton will probably win New York as well, maybe not by as large a margin. But anyway, Trump will win New York. And he gets closer and closer to coming to the magical number of 1237. Let me say, as a liberal Democrat, I think Donald Trump should get the nomination. I mean, obviously, if he gets 1237, he should get the nomination. But I would argue even that if he gets close, he should get the nomination. And the reason he should get the nomination is because it is true, and we mentioned this on another podcast, the Republican Party... And the powers that be within the party have absolutely every legal right to do whatever they can to get the delegates to block him and get a candidate that they want. Because the rules are very clear. You need 1,237 delegates. And if you don't get enough in the primaries, then you've got to get some of those that are uncommitted or some that vote on, their, on the second ballot. Maybe they are uncommitted then. You can get them. So everything they're doing is legal. But... It's kind of like if you have an insurance policy and all of a sudden you have to use it and then over the phone they tell you, well, did you read the fine print there? And of course the insurance company may be legally right because you didn't read the fine print. Well, that's kind of the distrust we have in our political system. Now, Lord knows I don't want Donald Trump to be president of the United States. But I'm saying if we're going to have this system and we're trying to encourage people to participate in it, to feel that they have a voice in it, if he overwhelmingly has more delegates than either of the other or any of the other candidates that started out in this, I find it really pretty hard to come up with a moral judgment as to why he didn't earn the nomination. The Republican Party, from its own point of view, is crazy if they deny him because I mean, it's great for us Democrats. The Trump people will walk, and it'll be the easiest election we ever had. So, so he deserves to be nominated. Having said that, what is happening now with his whining and his inability, delegates are, are going the other way. Even in states that he won big, the delegates aren't committed there. And Cruz is getting these delegates, Wyoming, Colorado, whatever. So he, is a, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's getting trounced in this delegate hunt. And so this is all the evidence anyone should ever need to tell you that even if you liked Trump's views, God forbid, but even if you liked what he said, he is absolutely incompetent to be president of the United States. If you aren't smart enough 
to figure out what the delegate rules are in 50 states and know what you have to do to get them to be solid with you on the second ballot if necessary, if you can't figure that out, how is he going to figure out the fine print in a deal with Iran? How is he going to figure out the fine print in a trade deal with China? How is he going to figure out anything with health insurance? The guy has no idea. Let's say he's the nicest person in the world. Let's say he's a great real estate agent. Wonderful. Be a real estate agent. Own property. But he has no concept of how, of the intricacies of government, of politics, of persuading people. He has no idea how to make a deal. How is he going to make a deal with Putin if he can't make a deal to get a delegate in Wyoming to support him? It's just unbelievable. We have never had a candidate running for office that had a chance of actually getting the nomination that didn't have a clue how you go about it. And we're saying, oh, this guy could be president. Like, it shows an absolute disrespect for the United States of America. That is Trump's greatest crime, that he so disrespects our country that he can think with absolutely no training, no background, that he can think that he could be president of the United States and lead the free world. If you think that he, he thinks that this is just a little game and it's a game show and this is funny, oh, gee, I could be president, it's horrible. One other quick thing. Gene, you and I have been at Democratic conventions, and I'm sure it's the same in the Republican convention. It's hard to describe it, but when you're there on the convention floor, you are in an isolated world. This all of a sudden, it takes on a life of its own. And you get caught up in, you know, I remember we were there in 1980 and we were total novices and we think we're going to get Ted Kennedy, you know, nominated when Carter obviously had the delegates. I mean, you get just carried away with it. Do you know that the rules of the Republican convention allow for a candidate to pay all the expenses of a delegate? Yeah. So you could have hotel paid for, flights, meals, parties, etc., so that enters the picture as well. It's, it's a quasi-bribery. It's not, you know, they're, they're resisting when this is getting brought up. Ah, it's not really a corrupt system, but, yeah, the fact of the matter is that uh, those expenses can be paid. Yeah. You know and I know, because you and I have been delegates <clears throat> to multiple conventions, and we know from that experience delegates are zealots. When I, you mentioned 1980 when we That's, both yeah. went for Ted Well, they Kennedy. knew you weren't normal. There was That's nobody that was going to peel me off yeah. to become a delegate for Carter, and they tried. I remember one day, I'm out in my woods where this house was that we lived at the time, and I had I was cutting wood with a chainsaw. And my yeah. wife came out and said, you have a call from one of the Kennedys. And I went in and took the call, and it was, I don't remember which one of them, but it was a member of the Kennedy family yeah. calling to make sure that I remain loyal to Ted Kennedy. This is what goes on. That is, that, <clears throat> Nobody's going to get peeled off. Anybody that's sitting around thinking, oh, well, when the time comes, there will be you know, uh, calmer minds that will kind of take control of this process. Yeah, but they're not the ones. Okay, the only exception I would say to that is, you're right, the people that are going there that are really for Trump will really be for Trump. 
Right. But there are also delegates. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. In 1980, the Democratic Party wanted me at the convention. And so I went as a delegate for Edwards. I wasn't really. You were, for, were you a super delegate? Yeah, or I was a super. super so they made me a super delegate for Edwards, so I could be at the convention. Yeah, and you but, weren't really for him. It was no, but uh, Kerry. This was two. Excuse me, not nineteen eighty. Two thousand and four. Right. I'm losing my mind. Two thousand and. You wanted to go to the parties, basically. I remember. Yeah. That. You wanted to go to the parties. <laughs> so I'm at I the convention. Well, actually, what it was, it was in Cleveland. The party there. Uh, gave me the seat because at the time we were thinking of running for governor. So the truth was we wanted to go to the Democratic Convention to do some politicking in case I decided to run for uh, governor. Right. And uh, so, that, so there were political reasons for going. And they said, we got a slot for you. You could be in, because based on the primary that already happened, Edwards was entitled to a certain number of delegates. So what they do is they take party officials, party contributors, and that's what you do. And you're assigned to the convention, knowing that on the first ballot, you have to then vote, like for me, for, for, had to vote for Edwards. It never got to that because everyone backed away by the time of the convention and went for Kerry. So that's who Trump's going after. There are all kinds of, in fact, Sanders is going after that. There are all kinds of delegates who are office Un, holders. Yeah. And they really uncommitted, are uncommitted. Yeah. They're just going to the convention. On the first ballot, they have to vote for whatever the primary said in most states. Not all, but most. After the first ballot, then you get to vote for whoever you want to. And these aren't people that are being dishonest. They're delegates. And they did what they were supposed to do, vote for that candidate based on the primary. But once it's a second ballot, then these delegates have to decide who they want to vote for. And, and those are the rules. Trump, if he gets close, will be able to get those people... Because when they sit down with you and say, I need 10 more votes to put me over the top, and I'm president of the United States, or, you know, the Republican candidate, I am telling you, there are not very many politicians that are going to say no to that. You know, it's funny. I remember that you said, I, rem I remember that convention. I was there as a delegate, too. And Megan, he said to me one day, uh, I'm willing to be a delegate for Mussolini to get into those parties. I remember. <laughs> I have no qualms about any he, of this. He did say that. Uh, and by the way, the parties, Hey, the trains ran on time, okay? That they, they did. All right. I was for Mass Transit, and I was chairman of the Mass Transit Committee. Hey, Jerry, uh, you know we were referencing earlier your television show, which we all, I know everybody here at the podcast. Let's hear it for Jerry's television show. But I still Never the work that. he's done for the American culture, Megan, is something that needs to be recognized. I mean, <laughs> hey, I want to yes. ask you about that because uh, the times that I've watched your show, the audiences, first of all, the audiences look like a bunch of college kids to me. They're mostly college kid. kids, yeah. So I, we were curious, how, how do you get those audiences? Aren't there like 180,000 in a year people who come? I, do, I know that number for Is some that other true? work That's I'm doing. Yeah. Well, it's two, about 250 per show. Okay. All right. Well, so you have a dark that. period in the summer. Yeah, uh, we're nine months. You, off, you we have do seven houses. I've said three fake. of them in foreign countries. Right. <laughs> you need time to go out <laughs> and sort of live your plane. large He's life. Figure about 200 shows a year. So Unless you're going to say 200 houses. No, Yeah. So where do they come? How do you get them? 
Do they have to audition? I mean, do they come from like really <laughs> crappy colleges that would spend a day going actually, to your show? Actually, no. Well, the show is, is, actually the truth is the show is taped in Stamford, Connecticut, right, right. outside New York City. Right. And there are a bunch of TV shows that are done there now. NBC Sports is right up there in Connecticut. And Connecticut has a lot of big television studios now. Anyway, that's where we do the show. But if you think about it, when we're just north of New York City, we get college kids from all the New York colleges, from the Jersey colleges, from Pennsylvania colleges, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. So we have busloads of students coming, whether it's from Yale, Princeton, UMass, Boston College, really? UConn. Uh, they're, they're coming from all the colleges. And, but let's be honest. Okay, the show is what it is, and it's stupid and all that. But anybody, I don't care if you're this professor or whatever of chemistry or, you know, when you were in college and the guys would say, hey, let's go to the Springer show, man. Okay, we're getting a bus together. Who's going to say no? Yeah, no. And that is true, and I, I really mean that. I, you know, my, my sister, God love her, she won't even mention that she's my sister. She's so embarrassed by the show. That's great. That is great. Yeah. So therefore, Certainly. I'm not going to get Evelyn's last name. But anyway. <laughs> but her son, yeah, you, you know her. Yeah. Yeah. It, he came to the show Tons of times, bringing his friends, bringing his wife, whatever. You know, when he was in college, all this stuff. It's a young person show. And I'm telling oh, you, I'm not telling fun. you to watch the show. But to actually be there in person once in your life, you will never, ever, ever forget that you were there. Because <laughs> there's nothing like it. It's not a sporting event. It's not theater. It's not, obviously, a regular talk show. It, 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 it's it's a circus. It's, it's kind of a mix of a sporting event and theater and a yeah, talk show. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's interesting. But it's all college kids. That. Right. That's really cool. You're describing it. And I'm thinking, I remember the day my mom sat down with me and said, uh, Gene, the day must come that you have to sit down on a bench somewhere at Piazza di Spagna in Rome. Yes. The Spanish Steps. And yes, you're telling me that you think a parent should say, you've got to go yeah, just, just one yeah. time to the Jerry Springer show. Oh, yeah. My, my father, well, my father had one major sit down with me. Yeah. And, and, you know, he said, Gerald, run away from home. <laughs> no, <laughs> but other than that, no. Jerry was seven. No, I'm sorry. I got and Jerry, was just, you know what? My, that was the only talk you ever had. But no, other than that. You know would, what my dad my said to me one time? dad would have loved the show. My mom would have said, ah, oh, Gerald. But yeah. my dad would have been in, back in the bedroom going, yes. <laughs> yes. That's you know, so I remember cute. my father sat me down and said, Gene, don't ever try to eat anything bigger than your head. And that's one thing he said. But I wanted to ask you this, too. Um, <laughs> Because my kid told me never to work with Jerry Jerry. Springer, but turns out it didn't work. Megan, did you ever did you ever think of going to the Jerry's? Can you relate to what he's talking about if you put yourself back in college? Oh, we, I mean, we were pretty far away, so we weren't doing, you know, I was at University of Kentucky, yeah. so we it, that would have been a little unfeasible yeah. for us at the time. But oh, if somebody said it, heck yeah, in a heartbeat, that would have been a blast. It's a college fraternity party. I mean, the yeah. truth is, did the you, show is a college fraternity party. 
and it, the same intellect. <laughs> buses that will go to the center part of major campuses that I guess you do. You well, guys they, send the buses. They will down? book it. Yeah, we'll send a bus and they fill the bus up and in the and like at the oh, yeah. squ- the square the yeah. you know the and, and then they some kids on off. campus will get and then so they'll give us the names show, and then they come. Man, this is a liability question, but I'm dying to know. <laughs> do they, do they, do they ice a keg on there or something <laughs> too on the bus or well, giving out shots? What's going on yeah, over there, Mr. Springer? I don't know where they get their drinks, but some of the kids are coming, particularly the third show on Monday evening. Third, third shift is pretty. <laughs> when they, those it's kids come in for the third A little boozy in there, is it? Oh. <laughs> I know it's boozy because they're laughing at my jokes. Well, that is the oh, first boozy. sign. <laughs> well, it makes me think of college. And you went to, I don't know if you know this, Jerry, but you went to Tulane University <laughs> and in, down in New Orleans. And Jerry always used to say, he always want to say New Orleans, but Megan, no. it's New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans. <laughs> hey, no, uh, what was it like for a kid, a college kid, leaving New York City, Queens, New York, going down to Bourbon Street? I mean, did you hang out? What was the dating scene like in New Orleans in 1965? This is true, and there are no jokes here. This is an honest, and I'm not proud. Yeah. <laughs> We've established that. <laughs> I had never been away from home, except summer camp. Yeah. That's right. But other than summer camp, I'd never been away from home, and I certainly had never been on an airplane. This was 1961. Okay, I graduated high school. It's now September 5th of 1961. I get on a plane in New York, a propeller plane. It lands in Atlanta. It still does. The planes all land in Atlanta. But to get to New Orleans, you had to change planes in Atlanta. It was, by the way, the first experience I ever had with white water fountains and uh, Negro water fountains, really? as I said. Yeah. I mean, I went, there was a line at the white one. I didn't even see the names, and there were no lines at the other one. So I went to that one, and a guy grabbed the back of my shirt and pulled me away. He says, Hey, what are you doing? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Sorry. So anyway, I get on the plane, land in New Orleans. Now, back then, when you landed, you, they didn't have the, uh, you know, you didn't go straight into the airport. You walk down the steps and you're on the tarmac. Mm-hmm. So at the bottom of the steps, when you get off the plane, are these guys from the 25 fraternities at Tulane. Jesus. All these guys. <laughs> because we had rush week. Oh, yeah. Ten days of rush week. Before the first day of class. They still do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't tell my parents that. I didn't even know about I didn't know what I would do. So I go, they grab your bags. The guys, come on, we'll take you to the dorm. They check you in. And then every night, nine nights in a row, because the 10th night is when they give the bids, nine nights in a row, a different fraternity, you'd be going to a fraternity party. And when the party was over, then they put you on a bus and we all went down to Bourbon Street. I got an education. I bet you did. <laughs> I couldn't I believe it. And I was afraid. Well, I was, okay, I was a virgin. So I was afraid to tell my parents what I was doing. Yeah. So I kept telling my mother, oh, class today, oh, yeah, we went over. <laughs> and, you know, it's sad because, you know, obviously my parents have passed away in the meantime. I never did find out if they knew you know, that I was, you know, know. yeah, I'm thinking they probably, they were probably hoping that you were not studying. Gerald wouldn't do that. But the fraternities every night would take you to all these places. Oh my gosh, my eyes. I went, oh, this is fun, love, God. God bless America. One every night. 
And then, but once you, and then I'll quit this. Once classes started. I was going to use my safe word. I'm getting very close. Now keep yeah. on. Keep on. Keep on. I'm not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Police. Megan, Police. Were you thinking of Poughkeepsie? No. Once classes started, then the girls at Tulane, and I say girls because you weren't yet men or women. Uh, the girls at Tulane, there was a curfew. There were no co-ed dorms. Girls had to be back at the dorm at 11 o'clock, except on Saturday nights, they could stay out till 12. And you got in real trouble if you weren't back. And if it happened twice, you were expelled from school. Did the guys and Sophie Newcomb. The guys didn't. <laughs> this was America. Well, the 11 o'clock female Let's make much. America great again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> this is what Trump's talking about. So you'd bring the girl, now this is true. So you'd have a date, you bring the girl back to the dorm, it's five minutes to 11, everyone's standing out in front of the dorm, because if you ever went into the girl's dorm, the girl was expelled. That is true, that's not a joke. She was expelled from school if a guy was ever caught in the dorm. So you get, and you would, so all these guys, all these couples are standing around in front of uh, the, hall. Uh, the, the hall, you know, giving you a good night kiss and all that. And then in they go, and there was this lady that came out ringing a bell, and all the girls had to go inside. But the guys now didn't have a curfew. We ran back to the fraternity house, got on the cars, and boom, to Bur Bourbon Street. Leave those nice to lane college girls where they are. You know, street. now that I think of it, let's make America great again. You just talked yourself into Trump. Megan, did, oh, did you? Oh, what, can Gene? you relate to this? I, mean, I didn't ever do Greek life. My sister did, so I didn't ever do the rushing or anything like that at UK. But you were in a dorm at UK. I was in a dorm at UK. And, and did you have? I mean, the ex by then it's co-ed. By the time it was every went. other floor. I mean, so like, yeah, it was like it was yeah. You'd have one. I think the odd, odd number of floors were yeah. men and even were female. Uh, but I no, we a, didn't have that situation. You and I were in college at the same time. I oh, was in Cincinnati. stop it. <laughs> and so I had this. So I went to Xavier University, which is a Jesuit school. At the time, all guys. Was this before you went to college? Yeah, right. <laughs> and there were so-called companion schools in the area. Oh, yeah. Several Catholic women's colleges. And by the way, Oh, they it had was a, a blast. I mean, I had as much fun going to, of course, I can, can't compare it to anything else. But I had a, was going with this young woman at a local Catholic women's school. And I <laughs> brought her home for a date. Here. Yes. And she went into the dorm. It's exactly what you're describing. Yes. She went upstairs to her dorm room, which happened to be overlooking the parking lot where all the Xavier guys were standing. Organizing to, to go out to bars. That's ex it's exactly <laughs> we get to the same thing. Yeah. She opened the window and she had a great sense of humor. And she started goofing around with me, you know, talking yeah. back and forth and sort of yelling at all of us. And a nun came out, identified me. I can't explain why I went with a nun because it's not wouldn't have been my nature. Took me into the lobby of this dorm, had a security guy come. And I did not give up this girl's name, but somehow, somehow got her name, and it was called getting campused. Oh. She was campused for a month. She, she couldn't go anywhere. And, and why was she? Because, because she communicated out the window to oh. me her date. 
that's how it used to be, Megan. Wow. No. Yeah, that did not happen at the university. No, that's of crazy. No, <laughs> no, no, I Our can't were a little that. more flexible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, we have tonight uh, Joe Fletcher, and we're all real excited about this because he spends a lot of time as good roots music musicians do, traveling around the country. But a big piece of Joe's backstory is is that he has performed for the last four years at the Newport Folk Festival. That's a big deal, Jerry and Megan. Do you realize that in Yo, the that, folk that's music huge, scene? The yes, uh, because that's where people like Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Doc Watson, Pete Seeger, a whole bunch of people uh, did that. So, Joe, first of all, thank you for being here. You're from uh, live in East Nashville now, I do, correct? I do and. Uh, do one of your original songs. We'd love to hear something. You got it. This is a brand new one called Rosary Beads. Well, the coffee is free at the Grand Hotel, but you must go through the casino to get it. And if you don't play, your cards are out of song By lunch you may be stuck washing dishes And it won't be long for you notice On your cigarette break by the river There's a ghost swinging from each strong branch And in the tunic of sun they still shiver And you know you'll be working for Mary, she grew up from a girl on these floors, and they wrinkled it down to a bulldog who's about a mark a mile from the door. She's got a gold ring on each crooked finger, she's got a diamond in each one of those. Sure, girls wonder if they're real or not, but it's really only Mary who knows and These old boys from St. Louis are so loaded They've got to throw it away just to smile As the car past the shacks on the outskirts They hardly ought to just set them on fire And the church bus that rolled in behind them there's a house full of hope in their eyes Rosary beads hang from the slot machines He will rise in these desperate times From the banks at the ball now He's got a flock full of notes in his case He built a log cabin of cocktail swords And with each sip it barefully shakes He's a man of renown at the office But at home his wife laughs in his face out riding bikes with his daughter last night He wondered how he wound up in this race Mary ain't seen the sunlight since Monday 
And a anonymous watch up and die There's a line formed around the red road buffet So it must be about 445 And on the split screen the chief is surrounded There's a thief line still out on vine It's all aces and eights underneath every plate He will rise in these desperate times He will rise in these desperate times He will rise in these desperate times Thank you. That's probably from his latest album. By the way, you can hear his music at joefletchermusic.com. And is that from, uh, if you got the wrong man, your That's from a record coming out later this year. That's a brand new one. Hey, do us a second song. Okay. Appreciate it. This is one from the latest album. It's called Haint Blue Cadillac. It takes place in Montgomery, Alabama. Last night I walked in the Hank Williams Museum And sat by the Cadillac until I started to see him Hank took off his hat and got down on one knee And said, let's walk on over to the mausoleum I filed him out on the Commerce Street And on East Jefferson we stopped for something to eat And after two more blocks he said, I sure am beat Let's get into this tavern Rest off beat. said Hank what are you drinking he said Joe I think I like the way you're thinking when I stand still sometimes I swear I'm sinking I think tonight I'll drink whatever it is you're drinking he walked to the jukebox and he let out a frown I want to hear on this tub I want to hear him now two girls walked up and sat him right down what do girls like you do for fun in this town Waltz across Texas rang out through the speakers He took the left one's hand He left the right one speechless Can you hand me that coat, Joe? I believe it's Bernice's He slipped out the back door With those Georgia peaches Joe Fletcher. Hey, Joe, tell us a little bit about the experience of performing at the Newport. You, you perform a lot of places all over the country. But as we said, the Newport Folk Festival has such a rich history. That was, How's it feel that to was you? the best one. 
the first really? the first time I did that, that was a an experience I will never forget as long as I live. I worked. I used to live in Providence, Rhode Island, so you know I worked very hard to get in there. I was a roadie for a band the year before, and that was kind of like the the pivotal moment that helped me kind of infiltrate the festival and get my CDs to the right people. And but getting there and being on that stage, I'm a huge Roots music fan from. Of course, Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash and Reverend Gary Davis and Skip James and all these people that were in that exact same place since 1959 is just a really incredible thing. It's amazing. And there is a sense when the performers come there. I was on the website today looking at the people performing. They're, yeah. they're young artists. They're yeah, people like you. Yeah. Uh, although a few years back, Arlo Guthrie was there. Yeah. Maybe Joan Baez. Yeah, the Preservation Hall Jazz Band's coming back again. They oh, were there yeah. last year. Uh, I got to sing on stage with Mavis Staples two years yeah. ago. Yeah. Wow. It's just, it's like... We ought to think about getting there with oh, this yeah, us should. to oh, be yeah. part of that. That is... You're not that old. I mean, 41. I have socks your age. Uh, so did you ever perform in the same concert as, let's say, Dylan or, what, or were they? I, at the Folk Festival? Yeah. Or no, not, the, not yeah. the same. No, I've never no. played in the same place. Yeah. I've gone to see him about, I think, 28 times. I'm yeah. up to. And you got to yeah. stand where he stood and you got to play where he played. Well, I'm not yeah. just hey, throwing smoke at you. you. You're phenomenal. Oh, I mean, that's, yeah. you're that's on really a good stuff. You're on a different planet. I mean, you know, here I am playing Tom Dooley and then I listen to you and it's like, oh my Where's the cover God. song? Take us out if you yeah. would Our, on you Who bet. Do You Let Better as Irene Goodnight. And Jerry Springer will jump in, TV show guy. Yeah, I was at the. Uh, Folk Festival, parking cars. Last Saturday night I got married. Me and my wife settled down. Now me and my wife have parted. I'm gonna take a little stroll downtown Irene, good night Irene, good night Good night, Irene Good night, Irene I see you in my dreams Sometimes I live in the country And sometimes I live in town Sometimes I take a great notion to jump in the river and drown. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. my dream.